Welcome to the Digital Broker Podcast with Steve Anderson and Ryan Deeds, where we help agents and brokers drive profitability through operational excellence. Welcome back to the Digital Broker Podcast. Uh, this is brought to you by Indio Technologies. Indio is a white labeled solution providing agencies with the tools they need to enhance their client experience and improve operational efficiencies. Ryan Deeds is here with me, my co-host. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing awesome. How are you, Steve? I'm great. Well, thanks again to Indio uh, for sponsoring this podcast. And um, if you want to learn more about what they do and register for a one-on-one demo, uh, you can go to www.useindio.com slash podcast. And uh, we recommend you do that to check them out. Well, Ryan, today we're going to talk about growth. Every agency wants to grow. Yes, organic versus acquired or buying growth versus building growth. And uh, key for any agency, right? And honestly, what does it really mean? What are the benefits, the problems, the pros and cons on one over the other? Is there one that's even best? Um, So let me just open that up. What do you think? I mean, I think that in any principal's dream world, right, they would be organically growing 25% a year, you know, um, that, that would be their, their, their best, you know, I think that acquisition has happened to bolster up strategic initiatives. Hey, we need to be at this place at this point in time or to kind of stop gap, either a lack of organic growth. And, and so we can continue. But I think that organic growth is a much easier thing to control than acquisition because acquisition, you're not just buying in a perfect world, you know, you'd buy the clients, they'd come into your agency, everything would be hunky dory and everybody would get along. And that's just not how it works. I mean, there's culture, there's all kinds of different nuance. And so I think that going forward, especially if we're sitting in these, in an agency that's doing seven, you know, seven to 9%, their target is 15 to 16 acquisitions a part of it and I think there's more and more opportunity today to acquire because of the of what agencies have to be and so if you're a small agent without a good perpetuation plan then you're looking for opportunity to 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 get a liquid event and the the larger agencies with good perpetuation plans are going to take advantage of that yeah I, I see that too and I think there's this interesting difference between a smaller agency and a larger agency even from just being able to afford acquisition, even if they want to. Um, Agencies today cost more than they ever have. The multiples that uh, organizations are paying are the highest historically that they've they've ever been. And so the cost to acquire is a significant issue. And I'm, I'm wondering, again, I'm not the finance person here, and I, you know, lots of other people can speak into this more than I can, but interest rates are rising, so trying to finance some of that, either through uh, loans and or through insurance company partners, et cetera, uh, that cost there is, is certainly significant. I think the other interesting thing with acquisition, and you sort of alluded to this, is are you really getting what you thought you were getting? 
there's this interesting honeymoon period when, you know, due diligence is being done and, you know, looking at acquiring and, and for whatever reason that uh, agency owner that's looking to sell may be smaller, may not have a have a perpetuation plan in place, at least internally, and is looking to cash out, what really is the acquiring agency getting in that organization? Do they have the same uh, ability to build processes and procedures? Are people following some of those best practices that, that a larger agency might be able to put in place? Um, I, I would say always no. Yeah, <laughs> I, would say, yeah. I mean, just like just like if if I'm at the Crichton Group and Willis or you know Marsh came along and said, "Okay, we're in," you know, we're going to acquire you. They, Marsh's processes are going to look a hell of a lot different than ours, you know, and, and ours are going to be right for our size. They won't be right for Marsh's size, right? And just like so, if we go and acquire an an organization a tenth of our size. It's just it's just a different world. So, no, I think it's it's absolutely critical. I think first and foremost, action item owners and people that are architecting the external deal, give your operations staff time to be able to put the stuff in place for acquisitions because it's nothing worse than getting an acquisition dropped on your desk and say, hey, 20 days, this has all got to be done. And now you've got HR, IT, and the CFO, you know, everybody, everything stops and you drop 10 times the time that you thought it was going to take. There is no easy button here. So the sooner and the you issue, get your operations team involved. Yeah. And, and for me, the issue is to get the value you think is there. Um, operations is key. You know, it's not just acquiring the book of business. It's keeping the book of business. And that's part of the right. operations piece of it is how are we transitioning that? You know, are they going to go on our management system? Are we going to run two systems for, you know, X number of years? Are, mm. right, all of those questions that. And that's they, all internal. The, the, the real problem is what has, what has that small agency been able to do for those clients? that does not scale effectively on a larger basis. Because if the clients are used to, like we acquired uh, some business from Brown and Brown and Brown, and those clients were very used to these very specific reports that Brown and Brown would give them on a quarterly basis. We didn't have the data, we didn't have all the stuff, so we had to go and make sure that we told the story and explain what the deal was and, and why that wasn't gonna happen going forward. And, and we were lucky because that producer had a very good relationship with those clients, um, but that those, that those nuances that get glazed over, because then what happens is the client leaves. Then who's holding the bag? It's not the producer. It's the damn ops team. And so, and that's not it's not fair and it's not right. But but I've seen that happen time and time again. Yeah, and I think that's why the you know operations needs to be part of the the initial discussions uh, in terms of acquisition and frankly could impact the value of that agency or what you're going to pay for that agency you know if their data is bad if they haven't don't have the procedures in place I mean, that agency is not worth as much now obviously lots of negotiation going on there to 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 come to that that particular point um, I mean, it's so many different discussions. What are you doing with tail ENO? You know, who handles what, when, and where? I mean, there's all kinds of crazy that happens. And so, 
you know, I think sometimes I, I've, I've just been through this. And so, you know, I just think sometimes we get that easy button syndrome where we shake a hand and now the, the deal's kind of been sealed. But the work hasn't even started, and so right. I'm 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 in total agreement. You know, and, get, get your ops team involved. And, and I mean, the the idea is, you know, we can bring in our processes, we can bring in a more disciplined sales process, right? All of those kinds of things to build up that client base of that book of business that that we're acquiring. And I really question two, three, four years down the road whether the value is actually being developed there the way that you thought it was going to be uh, originally. I think the other thing too that that I'm I feel like I'm seeing smaller organization being acquired by one of the larger organizations that you know is acquiring lots of of agencies. You have a you have producer and staff who may not very specifically want to be in a larger organization. And so they leave. They start their own organ the agency. They, you know, start from scratch. Now they're starting and building from organic growth, you know, but what are they taking with them? You know, and again, with all the non-competes and non-piracy agreements in place and being uh, adhered to, but still they're taking out of that organization and, and starting over again. So again, there's not an easy answer here, and every agency needs to continue to grow because if you're not continuing to grow, you're actually losing. Uh, because why? Well, what I mean, happens? Yeah, your your value is diminishing overall, and then obviously your whatever liquid event at the end is smaller than it could have been. I mean, and that's what I always think of because that's the enticement to get further producers on board. It gets harder and harder to get the staff to, to be able to keep that staff. I mean, if you, if you're not growing, how do you keep the awesome people that you have? I, right. I have such a hard time with that. Yeah. And you know, part of the issue is to grow, especially an insurance organization. It's not just a 10% growth. You, you you can't just sell 10% more or add 10% more in revenue because you also have the factor of what business are you losing? So now you've got to make up what you've lost and then add net new. And now we're in numbers that are extremely hard to hit on a consistent year over year basis. Well, and I think there's so much outside of the agency ability to control that. Right. I mean, if, if you have systemic rate decreases because the environment is getting safer, you know, I mean, it, it, the inverse happens as well. Right. If you had systemic rate increases. But I, when I think of growth, I think of rate. I think of lost clients. I think of kept clients and net change. And then I think of new clients. I mean, those are the factors as I look at organic growth, because again, it's one of those things that we say growth and what you think of growth, that may mean new business, that may mean different things. So often, I like to just to really drill it down into those factors. You know, what business are you losing? What What's your rate, you know, systemic rate decrease or increase over the year? Because what we saw in 2005 and 2006 Right in Florida, we saw rate increases, right? Right after the hurricanes and everything hardened up. And so everybody was kind of sitting pretty. We, we, every rate was going crazy. Well, then 2007 hit, 
rate took a dive and the rate increases had masked our lot losing clients, you know? Well, when the rates took a dive, now we lost a ton of clients plus the rate was down. I mean, you know, you're talking about hemorrhaging some cash and it, and it makes for a very unfun time. And so I think there are just multiple factors as you look at organic growth and it depends on the maturation of the operations team and the staff that you have there to be able to, to facilitate that. I mean, we kind of live and die off from that new year. Um, from a from a growth perspective, we try to break that down to the most granular level that we can, so we can show people, hey, look, you know, the agency overall is growing at six percent. Your your contribution is negative two percent, <laughs> you know, right. or plus four percent. Yep, exactly. Well, and that goes back to a discussion we've already had in terms of how do you measure retention, right? How, and how do you measure that? And again, you know, kind of industry wide there hasn't been a lot of real rate decrease. I mean, you know, it's starting to inch up a little bit on a couple of, you know, industry measures, the uh, the Ivan's uh, market index and um, a couple of other ones that try and track, you know, what's happening with rates uh, across the country. But no question, you know, you've got these artificial events that, certainly can mask the fact that you really are losing business, not building it because of the rates that you're, you're living. And it's still money, but it's not healthy long-term for the organization. Well, what I think is so funny is this, this, this always gets missed. A broker's job is to reduce the amount of money the broker gets paid. (laughs) Right. I mean, if we did the best job ever we could for our agents, for our clients, we took an age, a client that was paying a hundred thousand dollars of premium, simple account, 10,000 in revenue. If they were paying 7,000 in revenue at the end of three years, we've provided value to them, right? They're paying $70,000 in lieu of a hundred. We've done our job. We've brought loss control, risk management services in, uh, all the different components that have helped make them a safer organization. The only way that we can shore that up is by cross-selling them additional coverages for gaps they might not have. And so that is a very different, uh, so you've got large rate, right, which is external from us. And then you have your own internal kind of decrease that if you have a long-term client, you're going to, hopefully the client grows. You know, but if that client does, if you're making them safer, you're not going to have some kind of linear growth in the revenue because it's going to flatten out at some point. I yeah, that's, it's, always, that's been, always been a kind of a funny thing. It, to me. It's always been an inherent, you know, I would say tension is if I'm doing my job right, I'm making less money uh, because of how historically insurance agents and brokers have been paid primarily as a percentage of the premium for the policy. And that has some inherent, you know, some issues there. I think there's no question about that. And, and I think longer term, healthy organizations uh, really need to look at other revenue sources uh, to be able I agree to with you. other than the commission yeah. from the policy premium wow. that is sold. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think when you look at the agency in 10 years, you know, I think about that. What percentage of an agency in 10 years in the future is driven from commission dollars versus fee for services that they've been able to create that that provide customer experience and value to the client? I don't know what those are, but I suspect 
over time that that will be a shifting percentage where if it's 85% today on commission or 90% on commission, you know, that's going to be a 75, 70, 65% kind of split where you're going to have to figure out how to, how to fill that gap. I mean, and we do, we see, because the other part of this is there is a limit that a client is willing to pay, right? You get to this high level and the client's like, no, let's do a fee business. And so you're kind of, you can get capped in between these two places. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely think that, that we're going to see more and more. And that's why I'm always challenging these, you know, agents out there. What are business things that you can do riding in on the trust that you've created with the insurance piece to help generate value to the client in a way that you can do most effectively that's not so far off the beaten path that it freaks everybody else out? Yeah, and, I, and, and those aren't easy uh, answers. There aren't easy answers to that right now because we've got to really think differently. But I think certainly around data analytics, understanding their losses and, you know, really a, mm -hmm. a, a, not just loss runs, but I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about, but a no. deeper understanding of, okay, what things can you do? Can we help you implement to help reduce your losses? Well, that's, you know, again, counterintuitive in terms of I'm going to make less if the premium goes down. <laughs> right, exactly but right. I and believe, you're investing more. Yeah. And, and I, I believe pretty strongly that technology just generally, not just agency broker specific, but driverless cars and IoT and right, all of these kinds of things are going to have a dampening effect on claims and the severity of claims, which is, you know, what historically we've done in insurance is paid those claims or bring people back to the same financial position they were in prior to the loss. I'm really wondering if there's a shifting going on right now and in the really the very nature of insurance to a protection from the beginning mode, not just bringing them back after a loss mode. And, and that changes a whole lot of dynamics, including the compensation. So again, I, I'm not proposing easy answers for that right now, but I think we need to be starting to have these discussions and thinking about it. Um, and, you know, what's that mean, you know, as, as we, we move forward? So we've gotten a little philosophical here. Um, let me ask in terms of uh, acquired growth, acquiring, what are some of the things you see just from a operational standpoint that are uh, problem areas? And let me kind of highlight one I see all the time, which is I buy an agency or a broker and bring them into our organization. Do I immediately move them to our one management system platform or do I allow them to run their own system and then we figure out how to how to merge the financial information and there are both of those models out there some actually sell on the fact that we won't tell you what to do some say hey within the next six months you're going to move to our platform because that's what all of our organization uses any thoughts on that I mean, I think in, in, in the brokers that I've worked with, the client is going to determine that. If moving to, if I'm on AMS 360 and I've acquired an AMS 360 shop and, and I'm, I'm in a shop with Sajita, and I believe that my client will be impacted negatively, mm 
by bringing them into a Sajita automatically and then trying to train those servicers that know those accounts, I'm going to be a lot more likely to let them get past the renewal and then suck it up into the system, you know? It's messier, though, because now you've got dual accounting. You've got all kinds of different crazy. Best case scenario is that the transition is not that far. You've got your agency has a really good training and onboarding program. But, I mean, we're, again, we're talking reality. And so that's just typically not the case. You know, you're going to bring over four or five CSRs that are used to working in a system the way that they have worked. And in a smaller organization, like we know, the process control is not there. You know, we have, we've generally, with the two that we've been through recently, we will allow them to work on the system that they're used to. As we get the data prepared, we will understand all the financial nuances, all the different fields that we need to do, um, and then we'll either pay Sajita or Vertifor to do it, or we'll do the conversion. We've done both of those. I, mm -hmm. I paid Sajita once, and then I did it myself once. And then we'll have a cut date and say, okay, on you know August 14th, everybody is now on Sajita and all policy notes and everything go there. We'll keep that old system. A couple licenses on it for historical purposes. But I cannot, my operations team would beat my head in if I didn't tell you how much work it was to get all of the detail into the system. I mean, because the conversion, typically a, a, a conversion is not going to bring over 100%. And then you've got documents and all this other stuff that's attached. And if it's an old school shop, I mean, they, they have paper files. And so right. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think it's like you said, it's like it's a very interesting question. If I buy a million dollars worth of business from a dissimilar culture with dissimilar staff and dissimilar systems, what's my ratio of profitability over what amount of time? In, in a three-year period of time, what am I really gaining mm -hmm. on that? If I take a certain amount of loss, the soft costs, and all that, I mean, because there's got to be a, because I'll tell you, man, I mean, our office team pretty much stopped for like three months to, to do the acquisition that we had to do. And that was all our heavy hitters from the manager perspective, just heads down working. Right. You know, checking the E&O contract. Because it's not like you can just have faith. Like, okay, yeah, everything's in the system correctly. Nah, you got to go through the damn policies and make sure, okay, this policy, because on the renewal, you're picking up any bad habits they had. Absolutely. Again, all of this stuff is all looked at, at after the fact. But right. our E&O person, Tracy Light, she is not going to let us renew a policy without looking at that policy, understanding what we've missed, is it the right coverage for that risk? And, you know, if you acquire 500 freaking accounts, it's a, it's a lot of work. And so, you know, I just, I, I like the idea that you had, you know, if you could figure out as you're looking at it, kind of gradiate those things. Hey, their, their staff is an A, so that's an extra 5%, but their systems are a C, that's a negative 10%. Mm -hmm. And then you apply that to the overall purchase of it and say, okay, over, over the period of time, this is the deal. Because then you're getting a truer value of it, you know? Plus, if the promises that, that the, if the expectation of the client that they had were different than what you can deliver or will deliver at because it doesn't scale effectively, then you're going to have some losses, you know? Right. Yeah, no question. And, you know, what, what do those losses look like and what, how, what, 
impact does that have on the buyout provisions or any run out, right. um, you know, that, that happens there. Um, and, and that's typically, I, you know, again, I'm not the mergers and acquisitions guy, but typically that's why you keep somebody on for a few years is to help that transition and keeping as many of those clients within the organization as possible. So, you know, what, what are some of the issues uh, around, and I'm, I guess I'm going to go over to organic growth, not acquire growth now, around how to grow organically and, you know, lead generation and CRM and follow-up and, right, just the marketing, not, you know, and I get crazy with the insurance. Uh, if, if you've got producers, I mean, to be honest, yeah. I, but, but if you have producers that you're paying 40 points to, they better produce, right? Mm -hmm. it, don't call them a producer if you're putting hot leads in their hand and then they're going out and closing because that's not a producer. And, you know, I see these shops paying this 40, 30, 40, 25, and you come back and you look at what the producer had to do in the renewal, and it, and, and it was a much different look because it's all operationally driven at that point. And so I think that if, if you're operationally centric, so you have you have transitioned away from producers calling the shots, right? And mm -hmm. you're a, a more operationally mature organization, you may be able to create micro products. I like the idea of, of agency going to a carrier and saying, hey, look, let's create these minimum underwriting, these slot rated programs. Uh, you know, I use food trucks a lot because that's we've seen that work. Right. Uh, yeah. But no you know, question. we get a carrier partner, yeah. And now you have a, a good customer experience that scales without a producer. If the agency principals are trying to internally perpetuate, though, in the old school manner, that means that they have to bring producers in. Producers have to be successful. I, that is a challenging thing as we move into the future because that, scale, that, that doesn't scale very effectively compared to the, the solutions that we're seeing, like the boat people that you're talking about down in right. Florida. Right, right. If, and if they're able to write business without it, without a producer, that's better. And and that takes a whole different uh, skill set to do what you just said: food trucks or boats mm -hmm. or any of the more it's online or digital processes. Yeah. Now you're talking it's really current. true digital marketing people. You're talking lead generation. You're talking. Uh, marketing automation and follow-up and that's a whole nother area that we haven't really gotten into yet here and I really want to delve into that because I I think it's key especially if you really want to grow organically I agree with you on that one and you know does a producer really even need to be involved at that point or do you need just an internal salesperson to answer the questions and what does that even look like from a compensation standpoint that's very different so now operationally you're not paying out as much in sales expense you're probably paying a little bit more out in marketing expense but not in the sales expense that you do for producers and how does that impact organic growth and and maybe not even organic growth but how does that actually impact the actual profitability of the organization so that's the challenge i mean when you so the way that you're talking right we got two mindsets we got one I'm an operationally driven growth machine that does not care about individual wealth as much. And I, I mean, I believe, I, I see these two fundamental differences. I've made agency principles that are in that bucket, that they're like, you know what? I want to get rich. I want to make that money, but it's not all about, it's not, I don't have to get 
a $400,000 producer to buy my stock from me. That's not my end game. Inversely, and I've seen a lot more the other way, I need a $400,000 producer that's putting up those numbers every year because that's the only kind of cap that's going to be able to generate the revenue to be able to buy the stock from me. Mm-hmm. And if that's the mindset, it doesn't matter what we say about marketing this or marketing that, because at the end of the day, they're stuck on that production model that the producer will generate the revenue enough to buy the stock back, providing the long-term liquid events they've been looking for. So that's why, to me, when we talk to agencies, I have to understand what their perpetuation model is before we talk about almost anything else. Because so much of that is driven through there. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point because you're right. That mindset, you know, what does that look like in the future uh, uh, impacts so many other areas of, of a, the operations in the agency. So, yeah, I think that's a really important question. And, and I think an important question for uh, those agency owners that might be listening, whether you realize it or not, but think through what is my mindset there? You know, what is my perpetuation plan? Uh, is it, if it is producer centric and producer focused to have somebody who can come in and buy the stock, that's a whole different game plan than building up the revenue in the organization so that somebody else can come in and acquire the systems and processes that you've put in place, not the personnel that you've developed and built to sell. But we follow our fathers. I mean, you know, we, we follow those that we that came before us. And so, and I and I see a shifting. If you're a 40 year old owner today, you have a different mindset than the than the 60 year old that you bought that from. And it's not age; it's just capabilities and who you have to be as an agent today. I mean, again, I'm lucky that I work in an agency that has these conversations. Like we understand the trap of the producer compensation, the, the producer perpetuation model. Because, but that, that to me, when you talk about growth, it would be way better for you, for an agency to say, I'm going to take $200,000 and throw it at marketing experimentation, then I'm going to take $200,000 and throw it at producers every year and see who fails and who doesn't. Because you would get better year over year at your marketing experimentation, but we'll still have producers fail the same damn way if you're looking for that $300,000, $400,000 producer. Right. And I mean, you, you might be able to pick up a hundred and fifty thousand dollar producer, but that's not what anybody's looking for, you know, not for the most part. Right. Right. And so I just I, I think that when you talk about growth and talk about why growth stalls, it's going to be do the producer are the producers there? Can they can they encapsulate the problems of the clients and match those with the solutions? And are you giving, are there enough reinvestment dollars to give them those tools or is all that reinvestment dollars going to some perpetuation plan that's going to happen way down the stretch? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that is, those are big problems for the agency space. Yep. And not, and not easy answers either in terms of, um, no. it, it would be easy if we could just say, do this, do this, or do this. Um, but it is something that each organization needs to figure out for themselves and what works best for them. Well, Ryan, yeah, as always, absolutely. it's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you on uh, organic growth versus. You got me fired up. You got me fired up today. I felt that today. <laughs> I felt that today. So that's a good thing. Well, uh, everybody listening, we appreciate you uh, uh, coming in and uh, having to listen to this episode. 
and um, really would appreciate any uh, reviews that you might leave uh, wherever you find your podcasts on iTunes or other uh, places that really does help us uh, get the word out to others and help us grow. And so thank you, Ryan. Great talking with you until our next show. Always a pleasure. This has been another episode of the Digital Broker Podcast with Steve Anderson and Ryan Deeds. Send us your questions and comments, and if you like what you hear, leave us a review. This podcast is brought to you by Indio Technologies. Indio Software helps agencies save time and money by turning the application and renewal process into digitally enhanced online forms. To learn why over a thousand agents use Indio, go to www.useindio.com/podcast.